Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A glorious Father, we come before you and pray that you would keep steady our steps according to what you have promised in your word. Let not us be ruled by sin, but redeem us from man's oppression that you might help us to be able to keep your precepts. Make your face shine brightly upon us this morning as we read this dark chapter. Teach us your word. Let us cherish and love your word. Let us also shed tears as we hear of your wickedness, of those who do not uphold and keep your law. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 15, verse 33 to 41. This is God's holy and errant infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemach sabani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that it was This way he breathed his last. He said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger of Osais, and Salmon. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. There were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Jesus had hung on the cross since 9 o'clock that morning. Those who were watching, instead of bowing down and, and glorifying the One who is dying for their sins, they mocked the Lord of glory. They had asked for a sign. It was at midday they saw a sign. Everything started to go dark. With Joshua, there was a day where the sun stood still. But this day was the opposite. Darkness had spread across the whole land. This 
is the darkest day in all of human history. There had been dark days before. And there is dark days ahead. Nothing like this darkness. Jesus had said that the Son of Man had come to suffer. Give His life for ransom for many. All pointing to this moment. This dark day. The darkness had covered the land for three hours. And I'm sure of this time, the, the mockery might have dwindled a little bit if people were not entertained. People dispersed. Yet finally at three o'clock, Jesus, who had been silent throughout this whole period, cried out as He hung upon a tree. Eloi, Eloi, lemma sakpani. A desperate cry to his father. And at this moment, there is no response. When Jesus arose from his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and there was a loud voice that boomed from heaven. You are my Son. In You I am well pleased. Same again as Jesus went up to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, as He was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. Again, a booming voice from heaven called out, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. But now is Christ. God the Son cries out to God the Father. God the Father is silent. There is no booming voice from heaven. Now those around Him thought He was crying out for Elijah to save Him. Eloi. You could understand where they... Elijah. Eloi. However, Jesus is not calling for Elijah. Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 22, which begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From my words of my groaning. This is a tremendous psalm to be able to read. Us as New Testament Christians looking back at Psalm 22, we cannot but see the picture of Christ in Psalm 22. We do not have time to be able to study that psalm in depth together. I want to point out one key aspect of this psalm. It is not that this psalm says that God is never going to answer. But there is a time of silence in this psalm. Go from verse 1, why have you forsaken me? To verse 24, where he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. 
and he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard him when he cried to him. The author of Hebrews explains that God the Father heard his prayer and answered his prayer. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, the author of um, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Here the father hears his cry as he hangs upon a tree. Hears their silence from the Father, but he's still here. As he cries out, we then see the author of life breathe his last. The darkest moment in history, in which the author of life was crucified by the ones who should have worshipped him. The sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God was slain. God the Son who was there before all creation. Who was there when Adam was only but a clump of dirt. And God the Spirit breathed life into his lungs. As Adam's lungs begin to rise and fall, were filled with air. God the Son was there. And now God the Son hypostatically united to a human body on the cross. As this human body breathed His last, His one last time, where His lungs were filled with air and there was no rising or falling. Still, His heart had stopped. The author of life was dead. God the Son, now hypostatically united to a corpse. Paul explains he's crucified in weakness. And you think about it, Christianity calls this point victory. Paul says that this is of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Christ died. However, there's more to just Christ dying. Paul continues and says, this is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins. J. Gresham Machen puts it very well in Christianity and liberalism. Christ died, that is history. A moment in time when Christ breathed His last. But Christ died for our sins. That is doctrine. Without these two elements joined in an indissolvable union, there is no Christianity. This at this point, that Christ dying, and Christ dying for our sins, these two things, is what Christianity is based upon. Mark records what happens following his death. 
we'll see important aspects of this as Mark presents it. But before turning to Mark, I want to maybe take a step back and see how the Bible views this moment in history. How the Bible explains what happened. Not just at this point of history when Christ died, this is true. But the Bible explains that those who are in Christ, whom the Father has given to Him, also died at this point as well. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, that I have been crucified with Christ. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of this world. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, for if we have been united with Him in a death like His, that the Christian's union with Christ means that we are also united to Him at His death. Now this is an important principle because the Bible often shows that the point of our death is sin. then in Christ's resurrection, we have new life to be able to walk. But more than that it's just His death, that through His death, this moment in history, we find the defeat of the curse in Galatians 3, the death is destroyed in 2 Timothy 1, the enemy is destroyed. The last enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And all of these glorious doctrines which are laced throughout the New Testament found in this verse in Mark chapter 15 verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed His last. Now as we look back Mark chapter 15, there's three things that Mark points out at Jesus' death. He speaks about the curtain, the centurion, and the circle of women, and that's where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. The curtain in verse 38. Mark explains that the curtain from the temple is torn in two. Mark is not merely just making a historical statement that at around this time, the curtain just tore. He's not merely just telling us what happened. Again, we look and see that Jesus dying is a historical statement, but it has great and glorious theological implications. So too, with the curtain tearing, it's not merely just saying this is what happened. There's great theological significance. The curtain tearing. The curtain was located inside the temple. You had different circles, you might say. The outer courts, the courts of the Gentiles. You had further courts that go further in, and the, the, you had the temple. What you had is the holy place would be where the temple would be called. But within the holy place, you had the Holy of Holies, which is divided by this enormous curtain. 
find about this uh, find out about this in Exodus chapter 26 God instructs Israelites through Moses how to be able to make the temple and he gives very specific instructions and you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen it shall be made of with cherubim sil- skillfully worked into it and you shall hang it on the four pillars of Arcadia overlaid with gold Hooks of gold on four bases of silver. You shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in where there within the veil. The veil shall separate you for you, separate for you the holy place from the most holy. Gives very specific instructions what it is, and, and there in the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant was to dwell. That only one person every year would be able to go into the holy place to be able to make a sacrifice. All the other sacrifices were outdone in the outer court. And then also you had the priest who would minister within the temple. But once a year you would have the high priest who would go in at this time of Passover. And he would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat. Which is the region in between the two cherubim that overhang the Ark of the Covenant. And he would go in to be able to make a sacrifice and atonement for all of the people of Israel. And often they would tie a bit of rope around the high priest's ankle as he was to walk in because he was going into the holy of holies. You must imagine at some point they either thought this was a good idea or something happened which made them do this. The high priest was to be purified and cleaned as all priests were. But as he walked in and stood before the holy, holy, holy God, as Isaiah puts it. When we talk about this curtain, we're not talking about this small little shower curtain which just goes back and forth. This is a big curtain. Roughly about 60 feet by 30 feet. One of the Jewish historians, Josephus, said it was about four inches thick. The curtain represented two things. It represented the space of the Holy of Holies. Where God was to dwell in the monks of, in, in the monks of His people. It would be where God's presence was. But now with the temple torn in two through Christ's death, He would not only dwell in the middle of His people, through the Holy Spirit, He would dwell in His people. Not only it was to represent the space of where God was to dwell, It also was a barrier between God and man. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden east of Eden, God was to put a cherubim there to be able to guard the tree of life. A cherubim was to separate the sinful man from a holy God. So too, this curtain 
was to separate, separate sinful people from a holy God. From that is, which is unclean and holy. Yet now through Christ's death, He has made a way Through His union with His people, they are made holy, spotless, sin, sinless. But Mark doesn't just tell us that the curtain tore. He also tells us which way it tore. From top to bottom. From heaven to earth. It wasn't from earth to heaven. Again, this is not merely just a comment of what happened. It has great theological impact that God made a way for His people to enter. It wasn't man making a way to enter towards God. The author of Hebrews explains this perfectly. Obviously, he has the help of being under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but in chapter 9, I encourage you this Lord's Day to be able to go home and study and meditate in Hebrews chapter 9. And especially as we think about this passage of what Mark is talking about. I'll read a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood. Thus, securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer Sanctify the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without, God, without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here, The temple was just merely a shadow of what Christ was to do. It was just a physical image of what Christ was to do. But rather than going in with bulls and goats and year after year, sinners coming in, as much as they purified themselves, they were still sinners coming making sacrifice for sinners. But yet how much more? Through Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb comes not through blood of bulls and goats, but offers Himself up as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God. The mark is not merely just making a, a comment about a curtain. He's showing us what Christ has done for us. The second thing he highlights about Christ's death is the centurion. The centurion is one of the greatest examples of discipleship in the Gospel of Mark. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, we've asked one question over and over asked many questions, but one has come up frequently. Who do you say Jesus is? 
And here, this unnamed centurion is the only human in the Gospel of Mark to utter the phrase. Now Peter in his confession, Caesarea Philippi, says that you are the Christ. However, Mark does not tell us what Matthew tells us. Matthew says that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Mark does not have these words come out of Peter at Caesarea Philippi. These words come out of this centurion soldier watching Jesus die. Now remember Mark 1, verse 1. This thesis statement that Mark tells you all about what is happening in his gospel. He tells you in one verse everything you need to know. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here you have this centurion fulfill these words and, and explain that this centurion speaks of Jesus as the Son of God. Mark has, throughout has shown that it's the blind people that see Christ. It's not the religious leaders who should have known who Jesus was and how He was coming as the suffering servant. They had the Scriptures. But it's the centurion soldier who professes that Jesus as the Son of God. And as Mark writes to a majority Gentile audience in Rome, he points out that this Roman soldier is the one who believes that Christ is the Son of God. Likely to stir the hearts of those who hear this Gospel. Asking the question, how, who do you say that Jesus is? This is who the centurion said that Jesus is. What is your profession? But lastly, we see the circle of women. Mark highlights this circle of women who are present at Jesus' death. Now, interestingly, this is the first time we've specifically met these women in Mark's Gospel. Mark tells us that they've been following Jesus ever since His ministry in Galilee which is where he started way back in chapter 1 and 2. Mark says that they followed Jesus. And they also came up with him when he came up to Jerusalem. However, we have no mention of them during that time. We hear more about the twelve disciples, specifically Peter, James, and John, and these three women, the two Marys and Salome. However, all the other disciples, where are they? They've fled. They're scattered. Peter had denied Christ. But these three women watched the crucifixion. John tells us that he was there in John chapter 19. However, Mark doesn't point this out. And here we see another Markian sandwich. by these women who saw Jesus die as eyewitnesses. There was the ones who were following Him. After, we see them after the resurrection. But also we see three eyewitnesses. 
So we have the centurion who confirms his death. We have these witnesses that confirm his death and also his resurrection. And we'll also, next week, Lord willing, we'll see Joseph of Arimathea, who actually touched Jesus' dead body. But Mark does seem to highlight one thing about these women, although that they are there and although they are watching. He seems to highlight in verse 40 that they watch from a distance. I think this emphasizes their fear and trembling. When we get to Mark chapter 16, which we'll study in a couple of weeks. In all of this, we see a key portion of the gospel message. But it is not the whole gospel message. We know that this day, this moment, is but just for that, a moment. We know that Sunday is coming. That does not mean we do not overlook the significance of this day. Mark tells us of the history of what Jesus did. He died. But he also tells us of these theological truths. that He died to be able to make a way for us. But we also need to take it a step further able to understand the historical meaning and then also the theological meaning, but we also then need to understand the personal meaning. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. There comes a time when we need to be able to answer tough questions. Not merely did Christ die. Not merely what did Christ accomplish on the cross. But what did Christ accomplish for you on the cross? Do you believe that He died? Great! Do you believe that He died in accordance with Scriptures? Terrific! Yet we need to know more than just history and theology. It needs to be personal to us. Did He die for your sins? Is He your Savior? Savior, Your anchor? Your payment? Your Redeemer? Your Lord? Your rest? Your High Priest? This is the question that everyone needs to ask and also answer. And we all need this reminder. We say it often that Christ died. But we need to grasp the glorious truth when Christ died, we died. When Christ rose from the dead, now we are alive with Him. There's a great hymn by Cecil Francis Alexander, which is, there is a green hill far away. I'll close with this. There is a green hill far away, without a city wall, where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. We may not know, we cannot tell, what pains He had to bear, But we believe it was for us He hung and suffered there. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. That we might go at last to heaven.
they buy His precious blood. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, we give You thanks and praise that it is through Christ that we can enter into Your presence. Lord, that we are made righteous not through our own doings, but only through the righteousness of Christ. That in Christ's death we find life. An everlasting life. Lord, let us understand the historical truths, the theological truths. Let it touch our hearts. That we might be able to understand that it is personal to us. Let us confess that Christ died in accordance with the Scriptures. He died for our sins. We give you thanks and praise for Christ and what He has done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.